This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and Frederick Erickson. Fraser, in your Telegraph column this week, you write how Sweden has become a gangster's paradise and you say that the country is offering the world a case study in what not to do. Can you tell us more? I have been struck by the spate of violence which started on Christmas Day in Sweden, um, last uh, in Stockholm, sorry. And ever since then, there has been, even by recent Swedish standards, this escalation which to people like me, you know, my, my wife is Swedish and I've been trying to spend as much time as I can there for the last 20 years. And so I, I sort of zoom in and out of a Swedish debate. And every now and again, you see something that takes your breath away. Now, what took my breath away was there was a 15-year-old stabbed to death in a shopping centre restaurant. And one of the quotes from the eyewitness was saying, yeah, this sort of thing happens sort of quite regularly now, so I'm not really surprised anymore. Now, to me, that was a real moment because you're now getting a situation where appalling murders, we're talking a child being shot to death in a restaurant in a shopping centre, is regarded as not quite an everyday event, but something pretty close to it. And then, then when you look more, you see that the introduction of children into the gangland violence is now on a level that it's difficult to believe. Um, you read Swedish newspaper reports, there was one the other week, about um, about somebody who had 25 bullets fired into his house. The next sentence was, the police arrested a 15-year-old and they understand that they got the wrong house. There, A few days before that, there was another article about how police arrested a 13- and a 14-year-old who were carrying semi-automatic weapons on the way to commit a crime. Now, this is some strange kind of mashup between Bugsy Malone and Narcos. You've got armed kids wandering around here. Of course, under the Swedish system, if you're under 15, you cannot commit a criminal offence. It's against, you cannot be punished in the law. And so what was intended as a liberal law has ended up incubating a very new kind of crime. And if you look at the Stockholm police are, are trying to get ahead of this, but every time they do, the threat mutates as well. So you've got the situation where they've now arrested 30 people for the various um, murders and attacks that have been happening in the last in the last sort of five or six weeks, half of those arrested are school-aged children. So what are you supposed to do with them? Until fairly recently, Sweden had a, a sort of heavy discount system as well. So 18-year-olds would get any sentence automatically discounted because they were 18. The same is true for 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds. And you're getting the sort of violence and stories that I simply would never have recognised in the Sweden that I first started visiting 20 years ago. Frederick, you're joining this podcast from Sweden. What is the mood like there on this? What, how, how is the debate playing out? Well, I mean, I, I think Fraser is right to say that it's strange how the whole development has become so frequent, almost becomes ordinary, that we don't react with shock or despair when we have news coming sort of on the television every night about sort of a bombing here or a shooting there or another young life that has been wasted because um, he or she was killed. So, I mean, it's right. It's, it's become sort of everyday part of life. And um, 
even if most Swedes are, of course, reacting with, uh, with anger against, uh, you know, politicians, against the police, against sort of anyone else that has been uh, avoiding taking responsibility for this development over a long period of time. It, it's, it's something that's sunk in and become just so ordinary that, that, you know, life goes on and we just need to adjust to it. Fraser, you write in your column about how Sweden is known for being a compassionate country, but do you think this means that there's going to have to be a, you know, a less liberal approach going forward? Well, the funny thing was that Sweden gave the world Scandi Noir, and kind of the conceit there was that, that murder and ter- terrible things happening in this otherwise lovely, near-perfect society. That's you know the cliche of Sweden seen by the outside world. And now Scandi Noir fiction is being overtaken by, by real crime. There are some there's a fantastic um, Swedish podcast called the, the the Crime Room, where almost every day you can hear updates about this. I was listening to an episode the other day where they were talking to the police chief, who made the very interesting point that if you arrest a gang leader, you create a vacuum. The other gangs, he reckons there are 51 in Stockholm, will vie to fill this vacuum, and their vying will create yet more disturbance and yet more bloodshed. So strangely... Paradoxically, if you take out the lead players here, you can actually escalate rather than calm down the violence. Um, now, of course, the you you will have what uh, again. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to speak for Swedes, but I've got many Swedish friends whose opinions are divided on this, and I've got quite a few Swedish friends who are very who react very harshly to the idea that that stricter rules are needed. I mean, I can get it, because why, why do, would you want to change your whole society's outlook because of the criminality of an imported criminal gang? A lot of the time, these are people who came to Sweden either in the, after the migration wave of 2015 or, or a bit before that. These aren't sort of um, native Swedes, shall we say, running around shooting each other. And the Swedish press often struggles to make this point, but I think when you read these stories, there's this kind of horrible realisation that this is basically, this is gangland crime who live in areas which you can avoid. I mean, Sweden, I still think, is one of the greatest countries in the world. Another friend of mine said that Sweden is is 90% heaven and 10% hell, but you can avoid the hell. So it's not as if the whole country is going to the dogs. But the you can certainly see then a link between the way that um, Sweden, Sweden's relatively liberal criminal justice system, which has tended to emphasise the well-being of the of the criminal a bit more than ours, and the way that is linked to to what's happening now in Britain or England anyway, the age of criminal consent is ten, in Scotland it's twelve, but the killers of Jamie Bulger were, were ten, and we've got a consensus here that if you if you kill somebody, you commit a crime, then you will be held responsible if you're ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. And you can see the, um, again, I was reading a report in the Swedish press this morning about how a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old were arrested, but the 14-year-old, because he was under the age of consent, was released. So you are seeing now a criminal problem running up against the buffers of Sweden's liberal criminal justice system. Now, this leads to a debate which can be quite toxic in Sweden, because the Sweden Democrats, the kind of... um, populist party, if you want to call them that, have tended to be the ones making this point the loudest. And there's a huge chunk of Swedish political opinion, or popular opinion, which thinks that whatever the Sweden Democrats say is wrong. So I think there is not a consensus. I mean, you'll get um, the former chief prosecutor was quoted recently saying that that she's fed up of um, naive and well-meaning laws being exploited and ordinary people being left in the crossfire, almost literally. But I think Frederick would be a better person to to speak about what the the public debate is about wh- whether laws need to to change 
to react to we're not talking about very many people i mean i think the police say there they believe there are something like 1200 child criminals under the age of 18 of whom 150 are under the age of 15 so this was still quite a lot right but it's not as if the whole country is now defined by these criminals so there is a moral question should you really change your whole country's architecture well, I mean, I, I think the public debate has changed quite radically over the years. I mean, I think you're right, Fraser, that 10 years ago, if you were making sort of a strong case for um, needing stronger punishments against uh, gangs or against either other people that sort of in the in the broader ecology of, uh, say, the uh, the drugs market or something that was sort of crimes that were connected to immigrants. I mean, if you if you made that case, you would be harassed. I mean, you would be an outcast in the public debates. People would call you, you know, being racist and certainly beyond the pale. But that's that's not the case anymore. I mean, I think there is a sort of strong consensus among most political parties that there will have to be a lot more change in addition to all the change that has already happened over the past years with um, several governments trying to both sort of provide more money to uh, the Swedish police, so it can deal with these 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 gangs, and and of course changing laws and and punishments as well. But I mean, beyond that, it's also that the the tenor of the sort of person to person conversation has changed quite a lot as well. There is much less stepping around issues now. People are much more outspoken and are clear about sort of how many of these problems are connected to migration, to poor integration, and, and that we sort of have created different parts of society in Sweden where people's lives are just wasted. Another point also I think is important is, well, you know, we're talking about the tip of the iceberg here in terms of of young kids or other criminals that are sort of part of the shootings and, and the bombings and, and the stuff that you can read about in the media. But of course, the the wider network is much broader than that. And you can see that in in a lot of cities, uh, not just Stockholm, but in a lot of cities in Sweden right now. Many of the shootings that we've heard about in the new year, they're connected to sort of drug wars or wars between gangs about who is going to control the drug market in in a pretty remote town far up in the north of Sweden, in the city where I live, Uppsala, which is, you know, it's a, it's an old university town, much like Oxford and Cambridge. And, you know, for a long time, we had one particular area of the city that was problematic or no-go area, it's some, sometimes been labeled in the media. But for the past, in the past five years, you've seen problems jumping from um, one part of the city to another. The the bombings that we have had here over the past couple of weeks have been in, you know, in, in part of the city or in the suburbs, which is pretty prosperous. It's not generally associated with big social problems. You can see it's sort of new shops that are popping up in the city. There are rumors and talks among citizens about how it's connected to these gangs and they their attempts to try to launder drug money. So, I mean, it's, it's, it is quite different now compared to just a couple of years ago. Fraser, in your article, you're talking about how when your wife first came to London, she's Swedish, she was worried about crime, but now it's the other way around. But if we're looking at gun crime, surely Sweden is worse, but in, in London, knife crime is pretty bad, right? Yes, that's right. I mean, Sweden is Europe's capital uh, for firearms deaths. 
But when it comes to overall violent crime, Sweden's about the middle of the pack. So it's this particular sort of crime which Sweden has incubated. And you can say that the Swedish Prime Minister in his um, New Year message pointed out that there were as many gun murders in this Swedish town of Södertälje, which is about um, half an hour south of Stockholm, as there were in the whole of London. Now that is a shocking statistic, but if you were to include London's knife murders, then it becomes a little less stark. So this is sort of strange, this is the funny, in the gangland patterns, the, the, the methods change, the weapons change, the tools change. A few years ago, we had an article by Toby Levendahl, she's the political editor of Svenskdag Blaget, and that was talking about grenade attacks, which were then the signature theme of the, of the gangs. Now, they've phased out now, and now it's thermos bombs. So you'll get kids wandering around with thermos flasks make, making bombs out of them. Now, they use the bombs to sort of um, send warnings, and they send the guns to, to execute. So overall, the Swedish violent crime situation is not as bad as this particular gangland crime. But this, if anything, deepens the mystery. Of course, it's related to immigration. But then again, Germany took far more immigrants than, than Sweden. So why doesn't Germany have this kind of, of problem? Which takes you back to whether Sweden's liberal laws are creating a kind of um, a more comfortable environment for these quite often international gangs. And the, but you're now beginning to see you know, reports by the Norwegians and the Finns getting quite worried. The Finns were, I saw a, a report in the Finnish press the other day where I think one of the police chiefs was saying, if we're not careful, we're going to go the same way as Sweden. But it's not the case that if you... you know, I, I once went to a so-called no-go-zone no no in, in Malmo in the south of Sweden, expecting it to be as dangerous or as sort of foreboding as some of the, um, some of the worst parts of Glasgow that I'm quite used to. And it was actually lovely. It was, um, I went for lunch there. It was, you know, uh, these, it is not as if Sweden is like a place full of burnt-out cars like Paris was during the Bon-Louis Louis disputes. It is just that it somehow managed to accommodate a very specific sort of crime which the police can't penetrate. And the police, and that's mainly for cultural reasons. The people who are affected by these crimes, the people who are at greater risk of getting shot, are themselves unlikely to go to the Swedish police. There's a sort of shadow moral system there of honour killings, of gangland justice, etc. So you've got some very specific, very interesting and very depressing problems, uh, which Sweden, I guess, is, um, you know, to quote the words, the ending of, of Tove's article for The Spectator is yet again given the world a case study on what not to do. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Frederick. And thank you for listening.